insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. And here we are. This is Sean Martin. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity. This is a story we're capturing here at RSA Conference 2023. And uh, it's a space that, it's not a new space anymore, but uh, it's something that continues to be, I think, an Achilles heel for for many companies. Uh, And I don't know, I I think with technologies available today, I think we're finally in a place where we can get a handle on the breadth and scope of third-party risk management. Yeah, I think there, there's a lot to talk about here, so I'm excited for this conversation. I, I'm joined by Russ and Paul from Viso Trust, and uh, they're going to they're gonna tell us about what they're doing to help organizations get a handle on third-party risk and the vendors themselves get a handle on it too so they can actually serve more clients themselves uh, in a trusted fashion. Well, thank you, Sean. I'm excited to be here. Um, so Paul Valente, CEO and co-founder of Viso Trust. Prior to Viso Trust, I've been a security professional and a technologist for a couple of decades here and uh, I've been most recently the CISO at Restoration Hardware Lending Club ASAP um, where I spent a lot of time working with Russ and a lot of time uh, you know dealing with the toil of third-party cyber risk management. Yep. And Russ. Pleasure to be here as well. Thanks Sean. My uh, name's Russ Sherman, CTO co-founder of Viso Trust and Prior to Viso, long-time software and security engineer, engineering manager, team builder, and like Paul mentioned, spent a lot of time toiling with a number of different problems. One of them was getting a grip on cyber risk and third-party cyber risk. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm excited to chat with both of you. So let's, um, let's, let's wind back a bit and uh, tell us a story about how Viso Trust came to be? What, what was the catalyst? What was the inspiration? Obviously, you had experience, both of you. You mentioned that. But a lot of people have problems. They don't go and start companies <laughs> just to solve a problem that they've experienced. How did this come come to fruition? Yeah. Uh, Sean, is it okay to give a little background on kind of the history of the space and how that fits with this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I got my career started around uh, 2000 is when I really started focusing on security. And I was working in a city government context. Um, I went from there to working for a, what we then called application service provider. So back then, Salesforce was kind of the only company, you know, working in that model, what we now call SaaS. And they were really only in use by small companies. Large enterprises were too concerned about the risk of sharing their data outside their companies and or outside their four walls, if you will. And I was working at a company that was doing corporate social responsibility software in this new model that we called application service provider. And the only companies that were interested in corporate social responsibility were the largest companies in the world, right? Um, 
and uh, and they would want to assess our security. Now, their security teams that were assessing us didn't have any communication with the buyers, right? Um, the buyers were like the CEOs, or the chairman of the board, or or maybe um, the either of those folks, significant others that were interested in corporate social responsibility. And we'd often get engaged by the security teams kind of out of the blue, perhaps just as the contract was about to sign, or maybe six months after it was signed. And they would send me 3,000 question questionnaires. These were based on like the BITS, uh, BITS framework, which was um, what you know has now evolved over many years to become Santa Fe Group and shared assessments. But, but I remember being distinctly in the position of, okay, I've got to answer these questionnaires and I'm gonna have to hire people. Do I hire people to do more security and secure the data of these companies? Or do I hire more people to answer questionnaires? Mm. Right? And I had to do the latter, right? Right. Because that's what we needed to, to close deals and close business. So, so that's kind of where, where, where my journey started with this. I think Russ is better to tell the story of how it really became VISO. But, um, but yeah. Let's do yeah, it. So, so fast track however many years. And Paul and I were working together in a, a quickly moving tech startup. Um, and with the, uh, uh, the goal of going public c- coming pretty soon, regulators coming in, some pressure, external and internal pressure to, to understand cyber risk at third parties, you know, also being subjected to questionnaires ourselves, trying to build trust with partners. Um, we set about kind of a, a lofty goal of reviewing hundreds of vendors in just a few months. And it really necessitated looking at it differently. Uh, quickly understanding the scope of a relationship to make sure you were only looking at what was necessary building a platform for centralizing it, engaging other people in the business so you could kind of push it down or to the left, however you want to describe it, earlier in the process with more people empowering the business to make those risk decisions earlier. And we came up with a light framework. It worked, worked really well. We got all the vendors in, and we started sharing about how we approached it. And... You know, after many conversations with colleagues, with other folks in the space, it became clear that this was really valuable. It was a different approach that people would find valuable. And, um, you know, it just took uh, maybe a year or two later for us to take the jump and, and look for doing it full time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll certainly get to how you did it, but I want to take a moment here because and maybe you have some additional light you can shed on this. but. When you said the word scope, mm-hmm. that, that means two things to me. There may, there may be more. Sure. But the first is, you said a few hundred yep. vendors. Yep. That was probably a, a sliver of the total number. Right? Yeah. And then well, what within each one matters. Right. Right. To, to you. And in fact, that could change my organization as well. So talk to me or add, add anything more to that if you want. But... Talk to me a little bit about scoping and prioritizing and, and perhaps what you do um, eliminates some of the setbacks or limitations on scoping so you can perhaps do more and, and not cut yourself short where you might be drawing a line in a place that leaves you exposed still. So I'll, I'll leave that there for the, the two of you to kind of chew on. And sure, maybe you want to talk <laughs> a little bit about that framework and the context. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so like Russ mentioned, Right. We couldn't boil the ocean. Right. We had a short amount of time. 
we had to satisfy critical business initiatives and allow companies to innovate, we also had to manage risk, right? Uh, a significant, formidable challenge. So we had to think of new ways. And we started by essentially building models that allowed us to understand the unique way that we might be working with a third party based on what we called the context of the relationship, which is actually something that's kind of a live concept in the platform today, where where you can essentially, you know, what it's turned into is essentially in a few clicks, you can define the unique way that you're working with a third party. Uh, you can you can define data that's in scope for the relationship, and and the system will just tell you kind of magically based on all sorts of intelligence that's built in uh, what your inherent risk is, and that really informs what you need to do next, and that's going to tell you like that there's certain types of relationships where maybe you don't even need to go further. Maybe you know the inherent risk is low, or depending on your risk tolerance, maybe medium, right? Um, and so that cuts down you know, the work right there. It's really, really important. Um, and uh, and what we, when we took that further, it was, okay, well, maybe there's some where the risk is important. We need to do something, but do we need to look at everything? Right. Well, it turns out for certain type of vendors, you can, based on the way you're working with them, you can infer whether there are various types of controls in scope or not, right? I mean, if they don't have infrastructure, then do you need to look at infrastructure security, right? Well, probably not, right? And that gets more detailed. There's more, more that you can build on with those concepts. But deriving those concepts early and then um, allowing ourselves to limit scope in a way that we could be successful was really important for us. And when we showed that, you know, and, and concepts based on that, the, these types of ideas, as Russ was mentioning, to, to other security professionals, to CISOs in our network, you know, leading roundtables at CISO executive networks, uh, really to our surprise, folks were like, wow, this is awesome. This is way further ahead than we are. You guys should build this and make it for everybody. And we were like, really? It's that good? And, and uh, so that was really inspiring for us. Hopefully I answered your question. It, it, it yeah, I think it answered, yeah, it did, it certainly answered the question, but I have many more. Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to know, I, like, I love the idea of the, the context, right, which is, seems impossible to get in many cases, right? It's a gut check, well, how big are they, what are they touching, and somebody says, or how much money do we spend with them or make with them, that, those are sure. some of the things that I would think kind of where they draw the line and then you have the risk where are they where do they operate uh, who else do they do business with those types of things might help set some of that are those some of the things that are being pulled in by your platform now and 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 what else to help bring that context and the other question I have which I think is probably related to this because immediately I went to natural language right so something that would tell me in a story that I can understand, not just a number, right, <laughs> and, a, and a color of orange, something that tells me this is how you do business, this is why you do business, this is why you need to know more about what you're doing. Am I on, am I on the right track here? No, if that's the case, what do, you, what do you collect to get that story? Yeah, you know, I think that's really important and is a great kind of segue into a bunch of the technical aspects that you know Russ and the team have implemented to give you kind of way more a way more enriched experience and data set than than you know what I was just discussing with right. kind of the the, the scope limitation that sort of thing. Russ, you want to yeah take crack that? yeah yeah. So um, so essentially, what the the context has evolved to now is flexible and dynamic. 
it allows customers to uh, to define what those attributes of the business relationship are and get that inherent risk rating quickly. We often find that our our, our customers and and other CISOs in, in the space, we, when we talk about this, they have this kind of the same concept but applied in different ways. And we've standardized it. We reference uh, over 25 frameworks. We're using over 800 data points in the back end in our, our quantitative risk model to essentially kind of make it very easy for someone to scope the relationship and what we then want to look at to reduce risk from that inherent risk score. So you, you kind of go from having uh, a number of different kind of disparate processes that you might say, well, in this condition, we're going to look at these things. Maybe in this condition, we'll, we'll reach out to this team. You just come to our platform, you answer a few questions, and we handle all that for you. So what I'm envisioning is a system that's defined by the person who cares versus a structured, you have to respond to what you what somebody else thinks you should care about. Is, yeah. is that a good summary? Absolutely. I think though one of the power one of the powerful aspects of the platform is that we actually don't subject the vendor to like any of that. The mm. fact that we we're not sending a questionnaire that or they would be kind of subject to the the proper scoping or the improper scoping of that questionnaire. That they don't have to suffer that right. in our model. So uh, you know, we're focused on essentially assessing companies using artifacts that already exist, right, that they already have. And we don't really need to, to kind of deal with the vendor about uh, kind of asking them questions. So, so they're, they're shielded from that. They essentially just have to provide a bunch of information, which they can actually do, you know, very, very quickly, you know, five, ten minutes on the platform. Yep. Um, and then, as Russ was pointing out, kind of the, the, the power of the system kind of uh, delivers that in-scope information that's needed um, you know, without them having to having to worry about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And because I had the, the, uh, the pleasure of getting a snippet of what some of those artifacts are, and I think this is the really, well, there's a lot of cool parts here, but uh, the, the cool part that I think changes the game, because we, we do forget that there are, a lot of the first stuff we just talked about was about the assessor, right? Right. And then there's the whole slew of others, that in many of the cases either feel the brunt or yeah. get inaccurately represented based on data that somebody found on public sources, right? That may or may not really represent them properly in their con in the context of what the company who cares cares about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let, let's talk about that piece here. The, sure. The, the, the connection to the assessed. Yeah, and I think this kind of ties to the origin story as well because I remember we were talking with other practitioners and they were like, wow, this is great. And at the same time, you know, what we were dealing with uh, at, at, at our day job, so to speak, was every single business owner in this company was feeling the pain. It wasn't just the security team, right? It was everyone trying to purchase software. It was everyone who wanted to kind of, you know, essentially beat the competition, innovate first, deliver this new interesting thing, and it depended on a third party. And on top of that, the third party was feeling the pain. We were interviewing the third party. They were like, come on, you know, we, we just sold a deal to this other company. Can't you trust us just because of that? You know, um, what is a SOC 2, right? Um, and uh, it just became clear that the problem was so big and it impacted so many different people 
all of which could benefit from kind of this this new kind of uh, approach. And uh, yeah, I think ultimately what we ended up um, delivering uh, was missing a couple different things that we're now delivering on, uh, which is using natural language processing and artificial intelligence to look at all the data that we're collecting and automate the, the manual aspect of reviewing it. Um, Let's talk about that. I think this is a key part, right? Assuming you know who you want to assess and you got you have the things you care about in some form, questionnaire, give me your documents, give me your sock, whatever it is, somebody then has to look at all this stuff and analyze it, right? And make some judgment call or perhaps feed it into something that helps them make that judgment call, do business or not, right? And this is where we come to the, the security team or the risk teams or the departments know. We're always saying, no, we can't do that deal unless, right? Or you can't deliver that solution with this component unless. So how? talk to me about the transformation of that piece of the of the uh, analysis of the documents and whatever artifacts and what are some of those artifacts? So I, so there's a number of important aspects to that. I okay. think one, you know, realization from our, from our past that was really important to me. So we used to work together at Lending Club, uh, you know, like Russ was talking about. Lending Club was in the personal loan business, right? Mm-hmm. And there was an investor side of the business and a borrower side of the business. And I remember we had Lots of security challenges, right? Can't necessarily go into detail on those, but but it was very difficult to build security into the borrower side. And the reason was because anything that you did, even if you just moved an image the wrong the wrong place, we'd have, you know, there'd be a percentage change in the number of borrowers and the, the volume essentially of our revenue as a result. Right. Right. And so that was like a that gave you know, it gave us a deep awareness of how friction can change things. And as we started working on the problem of third-party security, both for ourselves and talking to others, we realized there was an important scalability aspect here. And that's influenced not only by what the process is like on the customer side or on the client side, if you will, but also on the vendor side. And so that is really what started us on the journey of focusing on artifacts because companies companies build security programs and they in some ways build those around artifacts, right? What's the first thing you do? What's the manual say on security? What's the first thing you need to do? Build a policy, right? Mm-hmm. That's an artifact, right? When you get a little further along and you really want to find out what your security is like, what do you do? You do a pen test. What does that produce? A pen test report, an artifact, right? So artifacts are how we, as security leaders, how we measure our own program. So isn't that how other people should measure us as well, right? And on top of that, folks put in all sorts of resources to you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest in great security and then things like SOC reports and ISOs and PCI reports. And they give them to their clients thinking like, great, but then the clients, they don't have time to read them right. and they don't have a structured way of turning that into a risk assessment, right? And so that's really where that that automation comes in and the, the powerful technology that we built, what yeah. that allows you to do. Yeah. Um, so maybe a little more on the, uh, the NLP stuff? Sure. That. Yeah. yeah. So uh, part of the original kind of um, vision for the the product was to go from, you know, having to read artifacts and leveraging what we see as as, uh, an opportunity with machine learning and natural language processing to eliminate all of that manual work. And essentially what we're doing is 
using heuristic models, using pre-trained and customized models, our own, uh, our own uh, custom models, uh, and look into the future to things like ChatGPT for other, other things now, which I know is really, um, uh, really going to change a lot for us too. Uh, taking any unstructured language, um, not just SOC reports, not just ISO reports, but any language, and quickly being able to detect whether that language substantiates the existence of certain security controls, and really any controls. So we talk about you know, data security, but we're building models and can recognize language across all different areas of risk now. And quickly identifying that, how it maps to a framework, whether it was detected in a certain audit report, and uh, allowing you to kind of do the quantitative risk analysis uh, afterwards. So no longer are you, are you looking at these different documents, seeing, oh, I found this in this one document, I found this thing in this other document, maybe I should ask for this other document. Everything just happens already because what, you, what you're now able to do is just throw the language in and then get back the risk score and how it maps to these different frameworks. Right. And I presume it, it'll flag things like, well, it, it said this over here, but contradictory information over here, or they were good at this point, newer stuff, eh, not so much anymore. And speak to me a little bit about kind of the, the, the continuous and delta nature of what this offers. Sure. So scalability is, is essentially afforded by a lot of the what we call lifecycle management, so the tail end there. But it is powered by detection and our ability to find certain things in language, in documents. Is the document old? Is it outside of the period of its, you know, its useful life cycle? Is it an old audit or new one? Um, and using what we detect in terms of, uh, you know, the expiration period, we then apply life cycle management rules on top of that to say, you know, in 30 days this is going to expire. You should go ahead and ask for the new one. Um, also, within the document itself, we can determine. Um, you know, if it's just described or if an auditor actually did validate it. Uh, and depending on which, you might want to follow up and see if it's in a different document uh, more, more, more quickly than maybe waiting for the expiration period, right? Yeah. So all these interesting kind of use cases are afforded by that. Yeah, and also kind of on, on, on your point about, you know, when there's inconsistencies, mm. right? Um, there's a couple different ways that those are dealt with on the platform. So like if exceptions in a SOC report or something like that are identified. Right then there's going to be essentially an evaluation on how impactful is that exception, right? Was it, was it just an odd thing that didn't make much difference or, you know, is this, is this a, a material deficiency, right? And so those, uh, essentially those aspects are going to affect the risk score. And then, um, you know, if we find, you know, one artifact that substantiates that a control isn't in place, that's going to kind of override in the model. Right. Um, whether uh, even if it's essentially been perhaps claimed to be in place somewhere else. Right. Um, yeah. I have a control, kind of but my yeah. pen test showed differently. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Great example. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So let, let's continue now because we we talked about the the assessor and the assessed. Right. And the, the lift on the assessed is limited to I won't say zero, but they have to provide you some stuff. Yeah. Um, but what the assessor gets, I'm thinking as an assessed, boy, I sure'd like to have that same information. And guess what? They got 10 other companies that I'm trying to do business with mm. also want that. So talk to me about that, you know, that last mile, if you will, 
Uh, is there a loop there to, yeah. to kind of help? That goes right into some new features that we've got. So yeah. I'll turn that over to Russ. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, so essentially every recipient of a due diligence request uh, for us is an opportunity to build trust with someone else, like you mentioned. You guys made it really easy for me, right? <laughs> and, you know, can I just do this again, right? Well, uh, this week we have launched our beta feature for Trust Portal, which allows new customers to adopt the platform as a means of collecting that information for themselves and sharing it in any way uh, a potential client might want to see it. Um, so essentially affording any one of their new clients the ability to understand the maturity of their security program uh, by using context, by using machine learning and artificial intelligence, by using our risk model, uh, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, close that deal faster. Right. Right. That's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. Get, get the deal yeah. done, innovate, move on, make some money. Um, I mean, I can nerd out on this stuff for hours. I, tell me briefly, uh, M&As, does this fit into that? Um, I was trying to think what the other thing was, but certainly M&A and, 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 uh, and yeah, yeah. mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, you, I guess, if you or, hear due diligence, yeah. you can kind of imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, so... You know, vendors are the kind of the most, the, the most prolific relationships are vendors, right? Companies need tons of vendors. But uh, we've got lots of different customers that have different business models. And, and, uh, and so there's much more than just, you know, vendors on the platform. For instance, uh, Gusto, financial services company, payroll, HR, that sort of thing. Um, amazing company here in SF. They not only use us for their vendors, but they also use us for their customers or partners because they essentially allow data access and folks can subscribe to the ability to use their API, in which case they're going to have access to data, right? Um, and so one of the gates to becoming one of those partners is to go through the Vice Trust platform and, and be assessed, right? We have companies in the, um, in the private equity and venture capital space so, for instance, Bain Capital, you know, they're one of our mm -hmm. investors, but before they were an, an investor, they were a customer. Okay. Right? We've got a number of other, uh, you know, large private equity and, and venture capital customers as well. And they do their vendors, but they also do their portfolio companies, right? So that allows them to essentially help to uplift, uplift those companies from a security standpoint, help to get those companies ready for enterprise deals, yeah. right? Um, and, and as well as maintain their security and make sure that they don't have a reputational event because of one of their portcos, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Pre-portfolio. Pre <laughs> M&As too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of, lots of potential use cases yeah. that, that folks are taking advantage of on the platform today. It actually brings us also insurance. So oh, that was the other one. Oh. Yeah, we've got, we've got a number of insurance customers that, um, that uh, use us in that regard as well, essentially to look at their customers in addition to their vendors. Yeah. So yeah, lots of... Lots of great use cases that the platform is being used for. Perfect. How does this fit into CISO's current program? Who, who, who takes the reins on this, and what, what do they need to do to kind of really absorb what you offer? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, I think that we're at a really important spot in, in history and, and with regard to the role of the CISO, where it's really transforming from how do I do these various, you know, security functions internally, like security operations and threat response and application security, product security, um, et cetera, compliance internally. How do I do these things across 
potentially thousands of third-party relationships, right? And so it's really a, a pivotal point, and it takes a completely different point of view. It takes a completely different, you know, kind of technology stack. This is a transformation that we are focused on enabling CISOs to make. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's an amazing time. It's, it's, things are changing for sure. Yep. And speaking of changing, what's, uh, what's on the horizon? Let's use this as a closing point. What can people expect from, from the two of you and your team as you, as you move forward? Yeah, I mean, continued product evolution, adopting you know, new technology. I think the newest features among Trust Portal, we're also, uh, we, we've released our uh, uh, questionnaire intelligence product, which means you can take any arbitrary security questionnaire that you are subjected to in a trust setting and answer it quickly with documents. Um, you know, we're looking forward to uh, uh, having other areas of risk assessed just as quickly, so not just cyber risk, but, um, you know, resiliency, uh, financial risk, other areas. Um, yeah, yeah. geopolitical, like, party I mean, network. it's yeah. endless, the, yeah. the amount yeah. of risk that could be assessed. Right, we, we yeah. recently released um, uh, what we call a risk network which um, take advantage of a number of other kind of fundamental features um, around, uh, around essentially discovering and tracking what we call nth party relationships. So your third parties, you're concerned about those. Well, they've got third parties too, yeah, right? And yeah. they've got third parties, right? And, and so we're doing a lot with monitoring public sources um, to, uh, to detect incidents of concern. We call those um, risk events and to give you intelligence on your third and, and fourth and nth party relationships that could be impacted by those events. So yeah. the, lots the, of great The stuff context you'd probably never have building on. insight into otherwise. Yeah, yeah once yeah. you have the, the place with all the, the data and you're able to operate on top of it, you can become more reactive when it matters and also proactive when it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is exciting. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I'm sure we can even dig deeper and, and nerd out. <laughs> some more but we'll we'll leave it here uh for our audience to realize that there's a different way to think about this right that that's not cumbersome and and horrible and nasty <laughs> yeah. right and and Indeed. better better for the whole ecosystem it sounds uh sounds everybody gets gets to benefit from this with less lift less an headache <laughs> so thank you very much both of you for uh for sharing this story. Anything, any final thoughts you want to share? I just want to say thank you, Sean, for the opportunity to share, to share the story. It's really yeah. conversation. Yeah, it was a delight, Sean. Uh, appreciate, appreciate it. That. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you for listening. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.